0: And I'm thrilled that we uh, could share that this morning. Thank you guys for allowing us to do that. I'm even more uh, thrilled that God has brought uh, Glenn and Tana and their family to Preston. And even more thrilled that God has done a powerful work of His grace in their lives. You might be saying to yourself, I'm not sure I could do a video like that. I'd be too nervous. But for most of us who know Jesus as Savior... There's something even a little more fearful, and that's a face-to-face sharing of our faith with someone. One-on-one, neighbor, coworker, friend, especially a family member. Today in our series on walking worthily in some practical areas of our lives, I want to walk through with you this whole matter of witnessing for Jesus Christ, witnessing about our faith, taking opportunities that God gives to tell others about Jesus' love and about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're going to look at one verse of Scripture this morning. We'll look at a couple other passages that relate to it. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 1 and verse 8. That's the verse we want to focus on today. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to consider from this single verse the power that God gives us to overcome our fears about sharing our faith, about the passion that He places within us to speak boldly for Christ, and about the place that He chooses to use us in sharing the good news of salvation. So let's start by talking about the power. Chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts says, Jesus speaking, but you shall receive power. You shall receive power. This message from Jesus to His disciples and now to us 2,000 years later came to them during a period of 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead. The context of verse 8 starts actually in verses 1-3. through 3. Look at them with me. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, also the writer of the gospel, of Luke says, The first account I composed, Theophilus, someone he knew well, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these, that is to those apostles, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them for over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. But that passage in Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 actually starts at the end of the book of Luke that this same author was used by God to write. So turn back a few pages with me to Luke chapter 24. I want you to see this in context. Luke chapter 24. Jesus has now been raised from the dead by the power of God. And it says in verse 36 of Luke 24, while they were telling these things, some men had come to tell the disciples that they met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Emmaus. While they were telling these things, He Himself, Jesus, stood in their midst. But they were startled and frightened. Who wouldn't be, right? And thought that they were seeing a spirit. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then look at verse 44 with me. He said to them, These are My words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about Me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name, notice, to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem he says to them in verse 48 you are witnesses of these things same exact message we read in Acts 1 verse 8 and then finally verse 47 excuse me verse 49 behold i am sending forth the promise of my father upon you but you are to stay in the city that is Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high so now luke as he's writing to his friend theophilus about Jesus says, here's exactly what happened. And what I want you to see is that there was a question the disciples had when they saw the resurrected Christ in this conversation. Their question was, when is the kingdom coming? When is all this going to happen? Give us the details. And Jesus effectively says to them, you don't need to know that right now. You don't need to know that right now. Here's something even more important and more pressing. You need power. You need power to witness of me all over the world. And I'm going to give you that power through the Holy Spirit. They're going to receive an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to live in them and to enable them to go all over the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't ready to reveal Details about future events, particularly as it relates to his earthly kingdom. But he did have a message for them. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came. Back in the book of Acts, chapter 1, if you'll turn one page over, it's all it takes, you'll come to chapter 2, amazingly. And there it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. And then it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. God completed His promise to them. Jesus fulfilled His promise. You will receive the Holy Spirit. Wait in the city until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And the Holy Spirit did. And since that time, every person who's put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation has received the Holy Spirit the moment they trust Jesus as Savior. That very moment, the Holy Spirit comes to live in them. You say, Bill, how do you know that? Because that's what Jesus promised and He never goes back on His promise. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus' promise is, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Comforter or Helper that He may be with you forever. That is, the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold Him or know Him. But you know Him. Now listen carefully. For He dwells with you and shall be in you. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. He came in them. And we too, if we know Jesus as Savior, have the Holy Spirit in us. In part to empower us to witness for Jesus Christ to lost men and women and children around us. We don't have to attempt to witness in our own strength. In fact, it's impossible. We have power from God Himself to do that. I want you to see this morning that the Holy Spirit... Uh, giving His power to these disciples directly affected their testimony, their witness. I want you to notice something. Turn over to Acts chapter 4, maybe two pages in your Bible, or three. Acts chapter 4. Chapters 2 and 3 record for us two powerful sermons by the Apostle Peter that stirred the hearts of people in Jerusalem. It also records for us a miracle of a man who had been lame from the time he was born, who was allowed then by the power of God through healing and through the the message of the Apostle Peter to get up and walk and run and jump, he was healed. As a result of that, more than 5,000 people came to know Christ as their Savior on that day in Acts chapter 4. The Jewish authorities were beginning to see we're losing our control here. This thing, whatever it is, is growing and we're losing our control. What are we going to do? So what they did is they got the apostles together and they said, you need to knock it off. Quit preaching about Jesus. But I love the response of Peter in verse 20 and I'm paraphrasing his response. We can't stop. This is way too important. So the authorities threatened them. Peter and the other apostles went back to the the crowd that was assembled in the city and they told them what happened. Told them about the effectiveness of their preaching and about the warnings they had received from the authorities. I think you know already that government then and government today isn't always right. I won't go into more detail about that. We'll talk more about that next Sunday we talk about our response as Christians to our country and our citizenship as Americans. But the apostles gathered all the people and told them these things and the people began to pray. And they asked in verse 29 of Acts chapter 4 that God would give them boldness to witness. And God powerfully answered that prayer. The whole building they were in shook like an earthquake. That had to be quite an experience. But the result of their prayers and God's wonderful grace is that they were granted the very thing they requested. Verse 31 says they went back out on the streets and witnessed for Jesus with boldness the very thing they'd prayed for. What does that have to do with you and me? Simply this. Most of the time, and I'm this way as well as you may be, We lack boldness to share our faith. We feel inadequate. We don't know the right words to say. We are fearful of the other person's response. But the fact of the matter is, the same Holy Spirit who gave them power can give us the same power. The same God who answered their prayers can give us the same boldness to speak up for our Savior. And the the room that we're in, whether it's this one or a room in your home where you're praying, may not shake like an earthquake, but everything else can be the same. The boldness will come. It happened in the first century. It can happen in the 21st century. In the 20th century, that sounds like so long ago now, 1969, I was a freshman in Bible college. I had the privilege of attending a seminar at Calvary Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And the speaker for that seminar was Dr. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. Dr. Bright shared a quote that day that I wrote in my little Bible, and I've never forgotten it. And I'll share it with you this morning. Perhaps it will sink in for you as well the quote was this witnessing is simply sharing Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God isn't that a great quote witnessing is simply sharing Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God we have that same eternal power awesome power that they had and we can witness for Jesus any of us can Nellie Pickard loves to tell people about Jesus Christ. She does it so often that she's written a series of books about how she witnesses in everyday situations. Her book is titled, Just Say It. And in it, she has one story about a phone call that she made to a health food store. She'd heard that they were advertising a sale on bee pollen. So she called to ask about it. She said, what are the benefits of using bee pollen? And the manager excitedly said, you'll live forever to her the words live forever were an open invitation to talk about Jesus so her response to him was I think you were just joking but I want you to know that I am going to live forever and the store owner then responded encouragingly I'd like to hear about that I'm really interested in why you think you're going to live forever isn't that a great segue but we can do that too that's the point We have the same power that those early disciples had. We have the same power that Nellie uses when she shares Jesus. And God can and will open doors of opportunity for you and me in everyday situations, face-to-face, on the phone, over the Internet, any way that we can begin a conversation or take off on another person's conversation and share about living forever because of Calvary's cross. And I want to pray right now, actually, right here in the middle of the sermon, that God will give us this week those very opportunities. And if you take up one of those opportunities, and I'm going to pray at the end of the service that you will, I'd love to hear about it next Sunday. All right? Come prepared to share about an opportunity that God gave you in this ensuing week. Well, let me pray right now. Would you bow with me? Father, This message from Acts 1-8 is so important to those who know Jesus as their personal Savior that I'm asking right now, and many others are asking with me, praying with me, that You would give us this week opportunities through a conversation, through a connection with someone else to share Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to You may we have wonderful testimonies to share next week and I ask it in Jesus name amen he will open opportunities and not only will get God not only has God given us the power but he gives us a passion to share Christ with those who desperately need him let's talk about that passion the next part of acts chapter 1 verse 8 says you shall be witnesses for me Some versions say, unto me. The meaning is the same. It's for Christ. We're going to witness of Him, for Him, unto Him, about Him. Jesus told His disciples that they would be His witnesses. Those early believers had a passion to represent Christ well on the city streets of Jerusalem. Why? Because they knew that Jesus died on a cross for sinners like them, like us. And they knew that Jesus rose from the dead. They had convincing proof. We read earlier in chapter 1. Convincing proof of Jesus being alive. So they knew that everything they were telling other people was true. And people could discover through their passionate presentation of the gospel that everything they were saying was true because Jesus came alive from the dead. Romans chapter 1, verse 4 reminds us Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And for us, knowing Jesus personally as Savior, learning about Him uh, from His Word and about Jesus in His own teachings gives us every reason to passionately proclaim Christ to the lost. I want you to suppose something with me this morning. Suppose we're walking down State Street out here on the sidewalk and a car pulls in at the curb in a hurried fashion, slams on the brakes, rolls down the passenger window, hands us a map, and says, get in. We've got some place to go. There's somebody we need to talk to right now. Well, if you're like me, questions start popping into your head I want to know who are you? that's the first question I want to know where are we going? I want to know who do we need to talk to? what are we supposed to say to this whoever? and why is this so important that it's right now? some other questions may be forming in your head but I left purposely one question off the list. Why me? Why are you stopping here on the sidewalk next to me saying, get in? Why me? If those questions are part of the context of our day-to-day witness for Jesus Christ, that question, why me, can only be answered by you or me if you're not a born again Christian you don't know Jesus as your Savior you haven't been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ through faith in what He accomplished for you on the cross then you can't witness about new life in Jesus Christ because you don't have new life in Jesus Christ but I want you to know today praise God that can change today right here in this service If you know Jesus as your Savior from sin, you can and should share your faith with those who have no faith at all. It all starts with a passion for lifting up the name of Jesus. And before I go on, I just want to say this morning, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior, but God is stirring in your heart about your need of the Savior, I would love to talk to you after the service today. You can talk to me or Pastor Jeff or Matt Turkington or a number of other folks here who know Jesus as Savior, like Glenn and Tana. And they can share with you how you can know Jesus as your Savior from sin with absolute certainty. No doubt about it. It starts with believers lifting up the name of Jesus because of how sweet that name is to you and me. We are witnesses for Him, Jesus said in Acts one eight. And here's what Jesus said in John 3, verses 14 and 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And again in John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to Myself he's talking there about being lifted up on a cross and that happened in about 33 AD but there's a way that we can lift him up today not on a cross not carrying around a crucifix but we can lift him up by honoring his name by sharing about him with others who need to hear it you know the same things those Jerusalem Christians knew You know that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. You know that Jesus died for your sins. You know that Jesus was buried and was in the tomb three days, and you know that Jesus rose again from the dead in power and victory. And you also know that He lives in you, and He wants to shine His light to a dark world of sin through you so you have a passion for Him because He means everything to you. He's transformed your life from being a captive to sin and Satan to being a son or daughter of God with not only every reason to live life to the full now and speak of Him, but to have the assurance of a life everlasting in His presence. That's something to talk about. Amen? Steve Lawson writes, The greatest joy is to know and glorify Christ. The second greatest joy is to make Him known so that others may give Him glory. Those are the two best joys that are in our lives. Other things bring us joy, no doubt, but those are the top two. Knowing Jesus as Savior and being able to share Christ with someone else who then gives their heart to Jesus and begins to glorify Him with their lives. In the life of a changed person, a transformed believer, there's not only that lifting up of the name of Jesus, honoring and exalting Him, but there's the matter of loving those who are still in their sin. Great debate these days about loving the sinner and hating the sin. And I'm not going to get into that this morning. I'm simply going to say, Jesus loves everyone. Everyone. And He has put in the heart of every believer that love for others that we can express for Him. In the context of Christians being ambassadors for Jesus Christ, witnesses, representatives for Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says this in Second Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ controls or compels us. The love of Christ does. We love Jesus because He first loved us. We love others because He put that love in us, His love in us, so that we have the capacity to love others. And that love motivates us past our fears, like the fear of rejection, to speak to that lost person, the singular beauty of Jesus, and the simplicity of the Gospel message. Our prayer should be, and I trust it is for you, That others would see Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's a great way to pray. We love lost people because we were once just like them, lost. We love other people who are still outside of Jesus Christ. We want to witness to them because we also know their destiny if they don't turn by faith to Jesus. And it's not a pretty picture. We also witness to them, want to share Christ with them, love them through Christ, because we want them to join this big family called the church, the body of Christ, the family of God. We want them to be brothers and sisters with us in this growing family all over the world. And then finally, if we're going to be witnesses for Christ, as we're commanded in this verse, we need to tell people about Him. We need to be active then in leading people to understand truth. And there are some basic things that they need to understand, just like we needed to understand them. The Apostle Paul gives the uh, essence of the gospel in two verses in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, nothing more important than this, What I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Several key points stand out in that text. First of all, it was Christ who died, not just some mere man. You know, there have been a lot of wonderful people, men and women, who have given their lives on the battlefields of war for centuries. in our case as Americans for a couple hundred years, to give us the freedoms we enjoy. Thank God for those people. But they are just mere men and women. This one who died on the cross is none other than the Son of God. God in human form. Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. That's important for people to know that. Romans chapter five verses seven and eight, "For one hardly will die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die like a soldier. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, think of that, while we were still sinners, with a fist in his face, Christ died for us. That brings us to the second key point of the gospel. All of us are sinners in need of a savior. Romans 3:23 is right on the button. For all have sinned and come short, fall short of the glory of God. And people need to know not only that they are sinners, but that their sin separates them from a the holy God. And their sin condemns them to eternal separation from God unless they put their trust in the Lord Jesus. Again, in the book of Romans, chapter 6, verse 23, it tells us that the wages, the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sinners deserve God's righteous judgment for our sin, but Jesus paid that judgment. He took our sin on Himself on the cross. He took my place. Say it that way with me. He took my place. Say it with me. He took my place. My place. One of my favorite songwriters is Gordon Jensen. And back in the seventies, early 70s, he wrote a song that has this to say. I was guilty with nothing to say. They were coming to take me away. But then a voice from heaven was heard that said, Let him go. Take me instead. I should have been crucified, the chorus says. I should have suffered and died. I should have hung on that cross in disgrace, but Jesus, God's Son, took my place. Amen? My place. Your place. We need to make that clear to lost people around us. Our neighbors and friends need to hear that. And finally, the best news of all, Jesus really died for sinners. He was buried, proving that He was dead, not just... Fainted, dead for three days, but then He rose again in power and victory to give us power and victory. We need to help people understand that. We need to apply it to their ears with our own personal testimony of how we came to understand those basics of the Gospel. And we need to tell them what God has done for us since we've trusted Jesus as Savior. How he lives inside us and the changes he's making in our lives. We're not there yet, long ways from it. But he's making changes in us as we allow him to do so by his power. There brings one more question, and that is this What place does God have for me to share his words? Notice the place in Acts 1 8. You're going to be witnesses for me after you've received power in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. The disciples were told that they were to take His message to people in the city of Jerusalem, a large population, and then expand from there to Judea and Samaria and all over to the remote parts of the world. This map you see on the screen outlines where those areas are. You can see the city of Jerusalem and it's in the province of Judea. Right north of it is Samaria. And further north is Galilee and then the whole Middle East as it was in those days. Some people have wondered why didn't Jesus mention Galilee in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And I believe the answer is because that's where Jesus did most of His public ministry. He preached to great crowds in Galilee. And so what He's saying in effect now in chapter 1 verse 8 is, I want you to go where the gospel hasn't gone yet. Start in the big metropolis of Jerusalem but then go out from there to places where people have never heard of me. And that's exactly what the disciples did. Acts chapters 1 through 9 record the expanse of the gospel in Jerusalem and in Judea. The rest of the book of Acts talks about the expansion of the gospel all over the world. It's an interesting thing. The uh, spread of the gospel occurred as a result of persecution. The gospel going to places all over the then known world was a result of persecution of Christians. The Jewish authorities and the Roman government who thought we will just persecute these people to death and this thing will die out were so wrong. Rather than halting it, it heralded the gospel. Rather than extinguish it, it extended it the world listen to what Paul says about the expanse of the gospel all over the world Colossians chapter 1 verses 4 to 6 he thanked God for their faith in Christ Jesus and the love they had for all the saints because of the hope laid up for them in heaven of which he said you previously heard the word of truth the gospel which has come to you just as it has in all the world the gospel spread everywhere And it's still spreading today. How was it that those early Christians, even in the face of persecution, were able to spread the gospel far and wide? How has the church in past centuries been able to spread the gospel all over the world? Gloria and I have been reading a book at home. Lately I've gotten to uh, the third section of the book. But in chapter 6, David Horner, the writer of the book When Missions Shapes the Mission, writes that sharing a gospel around the world occurred most effectively when they believed His promises, obeyed His commands, went where He sent them, proclaimed what He told them, and gave others what He gave them. That's the issue. If I am going to be effective in sharing the Gospel with others, I need to believe God's promise that when I lift up Jesus and exalt Him, people are going to come to know Christ. Not in droves, not by the millions perhaps, but they'll come to know Christ. Then is when people will get saved. When we take seriously His command to go and tell, when we witness even under the most difficult circumstances, when we go where God leads us to go and tell people what He tells us to tell them, God's going to do a work in people's hearts. What I do not want for this message to be, is to be one of those that says from the pulpit, You need to go. You need to tell. You've got to do this. I would much rather have it be, We get to do this. My longing in my heart is for this congregation to someday send someone out of this congregation to some remote place on the planet to share the gospel with people who maybe have never heard before and to get behind them with our resources and our prayers and our encouragement you shall be my witnesses so then the only other question is where are the opportunities I titled the message Opportunity Knocks because I want us to know and I hope you already know this the opportunities are everywhere everywhere we look everywhere we go The opportunities are there. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. We read it for our scripture reading this morning. The get-to part for each of us is to make the most of every opportunity as they come along. And one of God's promises is that He will, in fact, lead us in how to respond to each person. Let me close with an illustration. S.D. Gordon tells the story about one day meeting a little boy who was carrying a bird cage with four sparrows in it. He walked up to the little boy and said, Son, what have you got there? The little boy looked up and said, Oh, I've got these four birds that I've caught. Gordon said, What are you going to do with those birds? The little boy said, Well, I figure I'll play with them for a little while. i got a stick here I can poke them with. And then eventually I'll just give them to my cat. S.D. Gordon's eyes fell down to the cage, and he looked at those birds, pitiful as they were, and he said, son, how about if I buy those birds from you? The little boy said, no, you, you don't want these birds, they're just sparrows. They're as common as you can be, you can find them anywhere. Gordon reached in his pocket, all he had was $4. He said, how about if I give you $2 for the birds and $2 for the cage? Deal? Little boy quickly did the math and said, hey, it's a deal. He took the money and ran off. S.D. Gordon took that cage out into a field, opened the door. He had to tap on the cage a few times to get the sparrows to fly out, but they did. And as they flew out, he could almost hear them chirping, we're free! We're free! And then this thought came to his mind like a bullet. One day Jesus came to the devil said, Hey, devil, what are you going to do with all those people in your cage? The devil said, Well, they're just a bunch of old, sorry sinners. I'm going to play with them a little bit. I'm going to jab them a little bit, and then I'm going to destroy them. And Jesus said, How much would you take for those people? Satan responded, Listen, Jesus, you don't want these people. They're old sinners. You can find them anywhere. They're sorry, they're rebellious, they're evil. You don't want anything to do with them. Jesus said, how about all of my blood? That's all I've got. That is our message. That all of His blood paid for all of our sins. That's our message. That's what communion is all about. And right now I'm going to pray for all of us that God will use us in buying up those opportunities but more specifically that God will give us a deep passion for lifting up the name of Jesus everywhere we go not just this coming week but beyond and then we're going to share communion together Jim and Jeff and Ken are going to come and we're going to share communion together because it's a reminder that all His blood paid for our sin His body was nailed to that tree and out of it poured that blood that cleanses from all sin. That's our message that we get to share. Would you pray with me? Father, as we now partake of communion, the bread and the cup, may it sink into us that all of that was for us, for me. That was for me. And oh God, if there is someone here today who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, I trust that the Holy Spirit has brought conviction to their hearts I trust that they understand the simple gospel message that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that today they would want to give their heart to Jesus Christ and be transformed and become an ambassador a, a representative for Christ, a witness for Jesus That's my prayer for all of us. God, for those who know Jesus as Savior, like myself, give us a deepening passion to share Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results with You. And we'll give You all the praise as we see people come to You, drawn to You, to put their faith in Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Our men are going to come and we're going to receive... The bread and the cup. Again, parents, you can help your children. Mr. Jeff, would you lead us in prayer, please? See it together. going to close the service this morning with a wonderful old hymn just two verses of Have Thine Own Way and I want you to notice the words to that second verse especially because that really is our passion, our desire that God would fill us with His Spirit until all will see Christ only, always living in us would you stand as we sing it together Have Thine Own Way
1: Sing with me. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. choice